And welcome in, everybody, to Scout's Eye on Football for this Wednesday. What is today? Wednesday, the 10th today of March. And we've got a bunch of things to get to today. But we are we want to be interactive. We always tell everybody that. So great opportunity to come on board, send in your comments, questions. We'll get to it. A few things we're going to talk about. Uh, we'll talk to death in different platforms. It's been brought up. The Les Miles situation, LSU, kind of ran through that as much as um, – I'd like to, but willing to go to it a little more. We're going to get into the Kansas side a little bit. That program, that potential. Got a question, um, and I'm going to get to it a little bit more tomorrow on the NCAA and their enforcement powers and because there have been some issues that have come up, and there's obviously a lot of inconsistencies that people are concerned about. So, We're going to get into that. The new salary cap number is out. We're going to get into that. Update on who's still available amongst the free agent list. That um, And and kind of go back. I don't want to go over all the free agent stuff that I have done before, but I want to get you prepared as next Wednesday is the start of the new league year. Um, So as we sit here next week, the start of the new league year will be later in the day, and we're going to – We'll get ready to go, and the the, the legal tamping period, uh, tampering period is going to start on Monday. So, a bunch of things to get into today. Just kind of hit or miss, and certainly going to take your questions um, about anything that you want. But um, news around the NFL. Want to start there? The salary cap. This is breaking. As you know, the salary cap number is a percentage number of the, what we call TGR total gross revenue. It used to be revenue associated with television. Now it's the total gross revenue. Um, and the numbers are, um, based upon a percentage of the total gross revenue. And so the number is going to be 182.5 million by comparison Last year's cap was 198.2. So what we have talked about for a few weeks now, right, is that, okay, salary cap goes up 10% each year. You base contracts on on that premise that next year it's going to be 10% more in the next year, so on and so forth. We don't have that this year, as we well know, in the world of COVID. And in a in addition to not having the 10% increase, we not only lose that, we lose even more. It's, it's a reduction and the reduction is actually more than that. They're just prorating the, the reduction. So it, it's quite the challenge. We, um, to start with free agency with a cap this low, we saw a number of people as the deadline was yesterday, March 9th, to put the tags on. And we saw a number of folks put the tag on players um, with a couple of options. Remember when you put the tag on players, you're doing it with a couple of things in mind. You don't want to let them go first of all, but you either feel like you can get a long-term deal done with them, or you just want to prevent them from getting out in the market. And you may have the cap room to deal with it this year, but you may not want to commit long-term. So 
<clears throat> in essence, um, pardon me, what you're dealing with is just a way to keep a player that you just don't want to leave, but they're different strategic moves by putting the, the tag on them. You can still negotiate a long-term deal. So um, that's why we had a few of those yesterday because it was the final day with that. What that does, and <clears throat> I'm going to stop here and say the detailed information. I know everybody's, what about this guy? What about that guy? Where does this guy rank in that? It's what we do at LandryFootball.com. And I just finished, just got up there. As we're getting ready, as I said, the start of the league year, the tampering period starts Monday. You've got everything that you need at your disposal on the evaluation of free agency, the start of the new league year. Um, a scouting report in each on every team. What are the biggest needs? What are their sit cap situations? Target potential players. Got all that for you team by team. We have free agent boards with scouting reports by position. Who are the players that are available? What's their value? What's their grade in the league? And then what is their tier grade in tier one, two, three, and free agency? We've got all that for you. But I just finished wrapping up um, this morning what I call the very important addendum to free agency. And that is the complete position by position grades of every player in the NFL. Why is that important? A, as we are in this period of free agency, draft, understand who are the best players at each position in the league and how they grade and what those grades mean. Uh, it helps you to understand from a comparative measure how to look at players in the draft. But more importantly, it is the addendum that you need to your draft board. What I always say, the draft board is fluid. Uh, the, uh, the free agent board. The free agent board is fluid. It's not like the draft board. So the next wave we could see is see get more guys getting released or not signed. Well, we know who the free agents to be are. And we now know if you don't use the tag, the likelihood it's possible that a player the rest of this week or weekend could get re-signed, but it's more likely that it's somebody that's already been tagged that's re-signed by their current team. If you're this close to hitting the market next Wednesday, you're probably are going to want to test the market. But it's still technically possible for a team to sign one of their current players. So that player could come off the market. But they're players that will continue through this whole off-season process, scouting season process, that will be released. And then they're essentially added to the free agent market. They're now street free agents. And if they're not subject to waivers, they're free to sign with anyone. Subject to waivers, clear waivers, can sign with anyone at that point. Well, how did that particular player grade out this year? Because they're not on the initial free agent list. So what about this guy? What about that guy? Like, for example, J.J. Watt was not on the initial free agent list because he wasn't scheduled to be a free agent. He was released. They agreed to it. Boom. Now he automatically goes on the board. Instead of confusing everyone with this guy's off, this guy's on, we have the initial free agent board, which we put out a couple of weeks ago. 
And now we've got a position by position evaluation um, grades of every player. So anybody gets released, anybody gets traded for, you know how they graded and what the grades mean. And we do it in section. So you're looking at running backs who had the highest grade as a running back, who had the highest grade as a running fullback, who had the highest, you know, grade as a blocking running back, highest grade as a blocking fullback, who had the highest grade in terms of receiving as a running back, so on and so forth. You know, corners, defensive backs as a whole, who's been the best slot safeties, the best slot corners, who's graded out the best tacklers and run support guys, really important to understand. You combine all this information and what you have through the analysis of the team, you understand what type of players each team's looking for, what fits their system, and then you can kind of marry that to the players that are out there. Then, of course, with an understanding, a greater understanding of salaries, salary cap numbers, all those things are really important to absorb to give you a better understanding of the free agent process. I have been working on the draft. Well, you work. I work on the draft all year long, uh, even in two years in advance. It's a gradual process, just like recruiting is. And so study these players since they came out of high school and obviously you know, furthered that on as we go. And so as I basically put this to bed, um, the free agent part, we will keep you up to date over at LandryFootball.com in our notebooks and on Twitter at LandryFootball as the free agent process begins to take place next week. Um, Virtual meetings, signings, you know, what's the latest, potential offers, we're going to have all of that for you. Um, and of course I'm going to be breaking out the draft board soon, the culmination of a lot of things and a lot of work to put out the draft boards along with some scouting notes on them, um, that will have you set for that. So that's why we always say it's like having your, the 33rd NFL team, you have access to your own coaching and scouting department right here to where we can provide things using the background that we have. So um, that's kind of what we have at Landry Football that that you can take advantage of with the scouting season offer. I will mention that we're working on something that I think some of you are going to really like. Um, So I've been looking at different ways that constantly do how to make things better. You do know that LandryFootball.com is a way that you can get access, as we said, for very, very nominal price. It's less than $10 a month. And it's even less than that if you take advantage of the year membership. And you can get <clears throat> the information, inside information as it happens, grades of players, you know, from recruiting to evaluating a college rosters to draft prospects to evaluating NFL rosters, NFL teams, the whole kit and caboodle, evaluating, you know, the, the, teams and the games during the course of the season. We got all that for you. But we are working on putting together a new addendum to this. And it's going to be the War Room newsletter. It's actually something that was in the books that we tabled in the past. And now's the right time, I think, to bring it out. The War Room newsletter is going to be in a very exclusive club things that I would not want to put out on the website 
or discuss here. Um, but a really inf- not salacious, personal, you know, gossipy National Enquirer type stuff. No, no, no. Um, but things that are could only know from firsthand information as it relates to football, recruiting, college football, the draft, free agency, NFL. That's what we're going to be able to provide for you in that exclusive. Um, And if you want to be a member of that, basically you'll get the newsletter each week and you'll have some, you'll have not only that, but access to um, where you can contact me for information, be it some sort of advice. If you're into the fantasy stuff or what have you, we're going to be able to provide you a lot of stuff. Also some detailed about, I'd like to know about this or that. Could you tell me that? And obviously that's going to be, you know, part of the club. We're not going to hold you to it, but you know, obviously it's a club that we hope that you respect that this is something that I would tell another friend in the business and I'm giving you the chance to be a part of it. It'll be more expensive uh, because it's going to be so exclusive. And again, it's going to come to you in an email once a week. It's not for everybody, but those of you that are really interested, we hope you uh, you give it a shot. You know, try it for a while. We think you're going to like it. So um, we're excited about that. Uh, I'm going to get into some updated uh, free agent notes, and I want to get into some other things. Kevin, Kev Calargo says, um, um, got a couple of questions here. We always invite you to be in. Kev, thank you so much for your support and everything. Um, Kev Clark says, LSU is a great program, prize in deep tradition, but why does it seem administratively things are always a little loosey-goosey down in the bayou? Well, look, I've um, been involved with a lot of programs, but obviously none more than LSU. As That's where I got my um, – that's where I went to school. Uh, it's my school, you know, Syracuse or anybody else's school. Um, you will find that a lot of programs, LSU is not the only one, but they're the one of note, the one of recent time that has a lot of politics. The thing about college athletics, as you well know, there are politics in the NFL, of course, but with an owner, the circle is a lot smaller in college athletics you don't own the team the money comes from the boosters who with that money comes influence if it's depending upon the university structure state universities have a different setup than private universities where you got maybe governors who are as involved or uninvolved as they want to be Board members, board of supervisors, board members of the university that some are more involved into the day-to-day operations of athletics. And the reality is, like most people, if you look at it historically, if a program is having success, on the field or the court or whatever, you tend to look away. 
the LSU situation, yeah, it's a it's a problem, and 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 because there's a Title IX investigation, there's a lot of things that under the Privacy Act that is um, or a Public Disclosure Act, I guess is the right way to phrase it. Um, there's a lot of things that have come to light that probably would have never come to light. What that tells you is that there's a lot of stuff that that often doesn't come to light at other places and at LSU. In this case, it exposed a lot of issues. Is it a lot different than anywhere else? No. Um, but they're different things. Everybody has their own things that they go through. The answer is, in this case specifically, um, Les Miles in 2013 was having some recent success. And there was at least believability at that point that there would be more success, that that maybe Les would, would be able to fix it. Hey, we just went to the change. Remember, 2011 was one of the best teams that you've ever seen defensively, special teams-wise. It lost to Alabama in the national championship game. And, and, and that frustrated a lot of LSU folks. But still, and, and, and a lot of people after that game, yeah, wanted last miles fired. I fired. I get all that. He's never going to change. He's stubborn. That's where it really. That's where the. Pardon the pun here. The tide started to change for LSU, <laughs> literally and figured as the tide, tide beat him. In that game, but there was still enough success and less had enough support by key folks that when this whole situation came about. Um, with less and dealing with the students and what have you, um, they preferred to keep it under wraps. Why? Well, Joe Oliva did. And, and, and I, listen, I had a good relationship that soured with Joe Oliva. I'll, I can get into that at some point, but I, I just leave that alone for now. Joe did not like less. So, he, I think, correctly said, we've got an opportunity to move on from him, and I think this is a fireball offense. I think he did it because, A, he thought it was bad, but, B, Les wasn't his guy. He didn't like him. Les didn't like him, and therefore it was an opportunity for him to move on from Les. Others in the administration, the president, board members, some had a more fonder view of less. So had a relationship with less to where they wanted to keep us together and they didn't want to go down the path. Oh, you know, the buyout was a part of it. And maybe they basically, if this came to light, like most people, they want to cover stuff up because if it comes to light, it's embarrassing, right? They didn't want this to come out. And they felt they could keep it hush and quiet. And, well, they did until this came out. Eventually, sometimes it comes up. But you know what? A lot of times it doesn't. There are a lot of things that go on that I hear that never come to light at LSU and at other places. But this is pure a pure case of if they were looking to get rid of somebody, you make a move up. Tennessee. Well, how, how did that all play out at Tennessee? Jeremy Pert was gone. You know why? 
Tennessee investigated themselves, basically turned themselves in and said, we got all this NCAA violations. And you know what, by the way, we're not going to pay you, Jeremy Pruitt, because you committed all these violations and you're in violation of your contract. They essentially wanted to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt. I will tell you with 100% certainty that if Jeremy Pruitt was having success at Tennessee, if he was, if he had won nine games the last two years and they were challenging Georgia in Florida on the field and as a program, there's no way in hell they do that investigation. And there's no way in hell the NCAA finds out all of that because the NCAA, uh, Tennessee basically turned themselves in to the NCAA. They gave it to the NCAA on the platter, which you have to do with their limited subpoena power. Look, the NCAA say, you know, people can do whatever they want, but they can't do whatever they want today. That's the issue. The NCAA, when they used to be a little bit more aggressive and punishing and more punitive, what has happened in the college football culture today is that universities have hired attorneys. They always were in a position to hire attorneys, but the difference is there are attorneys now that specialize in fighting the NCAA in court and winning. It's kind of like at some point, we had to have our first divorce attorney, right? I mean, remember when divorces were like almost heresy back in the day? Yeah, you you never had them. Well, now you got you got attorneys that specialize in divorces and settlements and that. Well, we now have attorneys that specialize in eligibility for players, represent schools, and are very good at it and have a lot of ways that they can attack the NCAA. So it is it is certainly the NCAA can, quote-unquote, based upon what information they do have and somewhat speculative, can say, we think you haven't reported this or that, and we're going to do that. And then the school's lawyer up, and usually the schools win. I mean, I think you saw that in a North Carolina academic scandal situation. They lawyered up, lawyered up. And so that's the reality of today. So you have people that are a little, you know, uh, going back to the situation at LSU. I don't know that it's, it's, it's worse when you're dealing with a head coach that did things as creepy as Les Miles did. That's. That's really salacious. That's really tough. Look, Bob Petrino may have had an affair with a volleyball student. That was, I don't know, 23, 24, 25, consenting adults. But but I don't think, I think she was a student worker. Yeah, but it was consenting and maybe bad judgment on her, on both of their parts. But this is not a pattern of behavior of basically coercing and trying to convince young students to go back to their place. That that's pretty bad. I think that there was enough there to warrant Les Miles getting fired. The reason that they didn't is they didn't want that scandal to come out. It did. And so now that it came out, Oh, we wish we would have done that. No, you didn't. You're not sorry 
board member members, and a lot of them have been quoted because a lot of people that are off the board now and F. King Alexander at, at Oregon State saying, oh, I apologize. We should have done this or that. No, no. You knew exactly what you were doing. You were covering it up. Now that it's been uncovered, I'm sorry we should have done it. Well, now you're sorry. What that means is you're sorry you got caught. You're not sorry that you did it. And so, Kev, I, I think it's it's the program. It's, yeah, it's got great tradition. I have a lot of pride in it. But it's like anybody else. It has its warts. Um, you have situations that are are bad. Um, I, I would think that the sexual misconduct criminally um, is kept to a minimum in most places, I would hope. But there are issues. I mean, look at Baylor. L- look at what happened at Penn State with Jerry Sandusky. Those are extreme. I think you could probably put this situation, if you were going to rank them, and I hate doing this, this is awful, you'd probably rank this situation at LSU, say, greater than something that happened with Petrino at Arkansas when they find out they fired him, and he was successful. So credit, ironically, Jeff Long, who was at Arkansas, fired Petrino. And ended up in Hiram John L. Smith. Funny how things circle around, huh? And then um, LSU didn't do that. LSU had a little bit more success, and they didn't have the gumption and the the powers that be to make that move. Um, end up people who say, "Well, Joe Oliva could have done it." No, Joe Oliva didn't have the authority to fire him. In order to fire a coach, that has to be approved. He answers to a boss, and that boss. It has to be approved. So you don't, you don't Joe fire somebody and then figure it out later. You have to run it by your bosses and you're off to be on the same page. And they were not. I don't want to leave Joe Oliva off the hook here, but clearly we've got evidence in the report that says he wanted to move on from him and, and an email. I've seen it. I've read the report. It's, Embarrassing, it's a problem, but the reason it's the power of money, the power of winning. LSU was making good money, being very successful, and they didn't want to have that scandal that would do anything to hurt that. Now it's hurting them, probably worse, because not only is the crime still there and now known in public for everyone to know, but the cover-up was there too. And a lot of the people that were not there or that were there then or not there now, but I don't buy the apologies. We should have done this. No, no, no. You did it. And you're sorry now because you got caught. Um, changing the subject sports dad, 88. Appreciate you joining us. How much credit did John Dorsey get for the Brown success? Um, well, look, I mean, I think there's some things they did there with personnel. They had some success. But not a whole lot. He did not build a good culture. I think that while some of the players have worked out, some of them didn't. He certainly did an awful job of evaluating and hiring coaches and developing that. It was not good. I think what has worked is the combination of you take some of the good things that John did, you build upon the personnel, 
and you change the culture with a better head coach hire, and that's the reason for the success. So I don't know that I can give you a percentage, but I think he deserves a little of it, not a lot. Um, look, he deserved some success initially for the building of the Chiefs, but he also was responsible for some negativity and was let go. And I think we know, though, that Brett Veach and Andy Reid have done a better job in Kansas City than than Dorsey did. So John has some good qualities, but but he doesn't. But he's not a not a good leader, not a good builder of morale. He doesn't. He has some eye for talent, but has very little concept of team building. He's a building a collection of talent type of guy. And you have, it's more than just putting pieces. It's about understanding the big picture and building a culture. And, you know, some guys can see certain talent, but they don't know how it fits and they don't have enough of an understanding of how this guy fits or doesn't fit. So I think it's been uh, a little bit of an issue with him. Um, along that, and speaking on, I'm going to get back to, um, just looking at, cause I was doing this looking at, and this gives you an idea of what we talk about. And if you want to understand some of the philosophies of free agency a little better, go to LandryFootball.com and check out the, the free agent do's and don'ts and the understanding, just to give you an idea. People talk about free agency. You can build in free agency. You can do that. You can certainly help yourself in free agency. It's a way to acquire talent. But you have to understanding you have to understand what you're getting. Okay, um, I, I equate free agency like buying a used car off a lot. Um, and it's maybe not the best analogy because it's different. But but what I mean is. Free agency are players that are available because the team says that that he's currently with has said he's not worth what we'd have to pay him in the open market. So the team that knows him best says he's not worth it because if they really want him, they keep him. And if you have two or three guys at the same time, you have to make some tough decisions. But if you keep player A and B and not C – what does that tell you? doesn't tell you that C can't help you. It doesn't tell you that C's a bad signing. It tells you that that team that has them says, we're going to go and put our resources somewhere else. And what that does, supply and demand always factors in to what you have to pay a person. So think about this. If you're looking at the top people in this free agent market, Dak Prescott resigned with the Cowboys. Chris Godwin, franchise tag with the Bucks. Allen Robinson, tagged by the Bears. Um, Justin Simmons, tagged by the Broncos. Uh, Shaq Barrett, not yet signed. Trent Williams, potentially available. Aaron Jones, potentially available. Anthony Harris, potentially available. Kenny Galladay, potentially available. Leonard Williams, franchise. Hunter Henry, available. Juju Smith-Schuster, available. Will Fuller. 
available. Levante David, re-signed. Richard Sherman, available. J.J. Watt, already re-signed. Marcus William, tagged. Brandon Sheriff, tagged. I can go on and on. Look at these players. And you take the other players off the market. It's kind of like if you were to equate this to the draft. You know, you may have certain guys in your top five in your draft board, but if they're all gone, you can't take one of them. Well, the players that potentially are available and then either are re-signed or tagged, they're off the market. What it does for the players that I mentioned that are still on the market, it raises their value, right? There doesn't make them a better player, but it raises their monetary value because of supply and demand. So how much do you want to pay for Aaron Jones? Good running back. But look at the options in the draft. Look at other players that might come free. Shaq Barrett, great finish to the year. Really good defensive end. Do you like Do you like him? Are you willing to pay him a lot more than Bud Dupree or about the same? Those are the things that factor in. The point is, you have to be careful in free agency that you understand what a player's value is. So I'm going to go back to the car analogy. If you're on a car lot, there's nothing wrong with a Camry. You just have to make sure that you know it's a Camry and you know that the going rate is a certain price and that you don't pay a Lexus price for it. That's all you're doing. What happens is due to supply and demand, we're a team. We got a bunch of cap room. We got to appease our fan base. We got a bad roster. We, you know, got our seven or eight picks in the draft. We need to go and sign. Do something. You don't want to win. Bad ownership, you SOBs. The pressure's there. Go sign somebody. All right, go sign a player, a good player that can help you. But let's just say he's worth five. I'm not talking me, and I'm just using a number. Say he's worth five. You pay him eight. You've now paid Lexus price for a Camry. Nothing wrong with a Camry. It's really good. Now what do you do as you build your team? What are you going to pay the Lexus guy? You follow what I'm saying? And then, then this is where you get teams that are in cap jail or teams that have a roster that pay a lot of money for guys that are not nearly worth living up to it because the market availability brings the guy's value up above what his playing abilities are over the lifetime of his next contract. Important to understand that. Important to realize that in free agency, that free agency is not bad, but it's mostly bad value. Free agency is about identifying players and making a determination of what their value is and getting good value, which is often why I always felt the teams that do the best job in free agency sit out the first wave. Okay. They're not the first ones at the store that's lining up to get the newest iPhone or whatever. You're going to pay full price. You know, the newest, whatever that's coming out, I could, I equate the second wave of free agency is like buying on sale. Want to buy the kids' school clothes? Maybe buy it in the off season 
when they're lowering the prices in the stores, you get better value. Now, you may not have as much selection, but you may have the right thing and the right size and the right fit for you that makes sense. Now you can sign that player for a lower price at a shorter term deal, plug in a need, draft well, develop, and then you're constantly making sure that your roster is solid. It's deep. It's got a good combination of veteran experience with good young guys with not a whole lot of long-term commitment to a, to a financial player that has seen his better days. We see particularly places where owners get involved heavily. They chase what a guy used to be because they don't look at film. They don't know how to look at film and evaluate players. So they end up having a, this guy, I remember when he was this, he was that, he was all pro and he was that. You're not getting that guy. And you're paying big time money for what he was. And you're getting something far less. Understand that. Not negative on free agency, just understanding the importance of identifying it correctly. I want to get to some more questions because you guys do a great job with it. Um, Jeffrey Parrott, Chris, how can the Saints afford to give Marcus Williams a franchise tag? Well, Jeff, they've cleared cap room and they've restructured contracts, so they can do that. They don't want to lose Marcus. They want to get a long-term deal done with it. But it's a little bit difficult to maybe do all the long-term deals. So putting the tag is, I think, short-term. I think they'll get a long-term deal done with them. So as long as you have enough room for the start of the league year to be under the cap, to keep a player that you want, they're not going to keep them, I don't think, this year under this tag number. But the answer to your question is they've restructured other contracts. Cam Jordan was one of them. Uh, it's too valuable a player for them. To lose them. Look, they're in a situation where they cannot lose all of their players. I think the good young ones, um, they've got to make sure that they keep. And I think this is one of them. So the answer to the question, they can afford to do it because they've created cap room short term to do it, to carry that number short term. Remember, you don't have to have uh, your complete, um, you're, you're only covering the, the, the top um, numbers on your salary cap. So you don't have to be completely fully under just yet. So clearing cap room by restructuring contracts uh, gives them the opportunity to do it until they can get a long-term deal done with Marcus. That's the plan there. Um, Kev says your thoughts on the Ravens spot and choose overtime proposal. Personally, I love the idea of integrating additional strategic layers to the game. I haven't studied it enough. Um, I don't know. And, and obviously I heard about it. I haven't studied it enough. I don't, my feeling, and I, and I hesitate to say, my feeling is it's a little gimmicky. I, you know, here's the thing about overtime in the NFL. And by the way, I don't like overtime in college spotting it and you know I just I just it has the feel of penalty kicks in soccer you know the overtime rule and this is these are things that are byproducts of the of the game today right like the overtime rule in the NFL was fine when we had a little bit more of a balanced game what I mean by balance is run and 
defense, and now everything is tailored to the offense, the rules and everything. So it is easier to score. So the whole score first, you win, and the other team doesn't get the ball. That was really never an issue back in the day. That was never something that was brought up, but it's brought up now because you can score quickly. And I get it. If you're going to have a game in which it's going to be so tilted towards the offense in terms of rules, then I think the rules of overtime need to go with that. I'm not sure that I have the answer. I hate to criticize things if I don't have a better solution. I've always kind of felt like that the way to go might be in a form of extending a game, meaning it's the fourth quarter, scores tied at 24. I got the ball. It's first down. I'm at my own 40-yard line. It's 10 seconds to go in the game. Uh, well, 10 seconds to go you pro- at the 40-yard line. You're probably trying to throw a quick out and see if you can't kick a long field goal. You do that. But maybe, let's say, if you're further back, say you're at your own 20. You're probably running off the clock, kicking overtime, and you're starting over. I wonder sometimes if, all right, look, it's a tie game. It's 10 seconds left in the game. Why don't we just extend the game? Meaning, you know, it's second down. You got the ball on the 35-yard line. You know, put five minutes on the clock. And, you know, where you are, go with it. Um, You got five minutes. You play five more minutes. Team goes down and scores. Game's not over. The other team, you know, depending on if if the team, if you you add the five minutes to start the game, and and I got the ball at my 35, and I use up five minutes and I score, I win the game. Defense, you got to get off the field. But, But if I score quickly and you got two minutes and 12 seconds left, the opponent, so you got Two, it's not a sudden death. It's two two minutes and twelve seconds left. The other team could come in and um and tie or win. They've got two minutes and twelve seconds to do whatever. It's not sudden death. It's an extension of the game. Um, the other thing, I, I look. I hate ties. And I know you're dealing with a lot of things here, but it's not the worst thing in the world in the regular season. Obviously, you got to have a solution. And I do think doing it for the what you're going to do in postseason ought to mirror what you do in the regular season. But I, I'm more, I've always been more inclined of continuing the game like another five minutes wherever you end the game. And then, then I think you need to have a plan if it's tied after that then I think you're dealing with a situation that maybe you back where you are, but in, in another five minutes may not solve the game. Um, I get that. But you know what? I think you're in a position now where scoring is more prevalent and more likely another five minutes will solve the issue. Spot and choose what you're talking about. Um, I, I, to me, it's a little too confusing. Um you know, your guy Donovan McNabb there couldn't even figure out you who know, was seven at the end. Remember, God bless him. 
I don't mean to take a shot at Donovan. I love Donovan. Did did some radio with him too. Um, I think it becomes a little bit confusing personally. Um, I I'm open to ideas. I, I don't I don't have it. Um, no. Uh, Rich Coach says, "How exactly did Les Miles get the LSU job? Was he the top candidate or not?" Um, Skip Bertman hired him. He was the athletic director at the time. Um, they tried to talk to a few people. Les was the guy that was, you know, the the guy that they tried to make a run at is Jack Del Rio, and he kind of left him at the altar. I don't know that it was going to go in that direction, but he was a strong candidate. Um, and Les wanted it and it was kind of the fallback plan. And I can remember after the, uh, after the bowl game in which Nick Saban played the coach's last game at LSU against Iowa, Drew Tate, um, LSU actually was going to meet with Jack Del Rio at the airport and Jack kind of stubbed him. He was basically using LSU for leverage in his situation with the owner at the time, which is not Shot Khan, the previous owner. And um and 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 I think Skip got frustrated and said, I'm I'm gonna offer the job to Les Miles, you know. Um there were situations, by the way, with hostesses at Oklahoma State when Les was there. That that in fact there was a there was a big report in Sports Illustrated about it. You can I think Google that somewhere down you so that and then less had issues at Michigan. So there there is I think the degree of what happened with Les is so distasteful. But the fact that he was a little bit creepy at the very least it goes back a while. This has been a pattern. And and it and it and some things did happen at Oklahoma State. And it's one of the many reasons why he was disliked at Michigan. The Lloyd Cars, the Gary Mullers, the uh, Mary Sue Coleman's, um, uh, the AD at the time. I got what was Bill's last name? They, they, they dislike Les. Les was rumored for Michigan because Les had a serious booster faction of ex players that were pushing it and very influential, very wealthy donors that that were kind of pushing for Les. So. The administration had to full interest in less to appease them, but it was I was involved in doing coaching search work with Michigan at the time. And when the whole rumors about less going to Michigan, um, that 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 was that wasn't that wasn't going to happen. I can tell you, um, it it was going to be anybody but less because they didn't want it president and the key decision makers did not want him, but there's some issues there. Um, Hey, what happens at Kansas now? Um, Look, I hear this. It's uh, let's throw dirt on Kansas. Look, I think we've seen what Iowa state has done under Matt Campbell. We saw what Bill Snyder did with Kansas state. You can have some success at Kansas. You're not going to have big time success, but you can have some success in football at Kansas if you get the right guy and you're patient. And I don't know that the current administration, I would trust getting the right guy, but you can. Look, Kansas, Kansas certainly has more football tradition than Iowa State and more football tradition in Kansas State. That's for darn sure. I mean, um, look, they were 
went to the Rose Bowl in 47 under Coach Sauer, George Sauer. Pepper Rogers, I don't know if you remember him out there. Pepper Rogers, they won the, the Big Eight, Kansas did in 1968. They went to the Rose Bowl. They lost to Penn State in a really good Orange Bowl game. They were really, really good. Uh, Glenn Mason was hired from Kent State um, in, in 88 and, and did a really good job there. In fact, Glenn Mason got offered and accepted the Georgia job. Glenn Mason was going to Georgia. After 24, 48 hours, he backed out of it after the Aloha Bowl game. He decided to stay at Kansas, and that's when Georgia hired Jim Donnan. A year later, Glenn Mason took the Minnesota job, University of Minnesota job. Um, but they went to Aloha Bowls and won games, and they won back, uh, not back-to-back, like 92 and 95 won Aloha Bowl games. Had success. Mark Mangino. Look, I mean, Kansas was in the top five. They were 12-1. and one. Now, is that something going to happen regularly? Of course not. But in the Big 12, you tell me Kansas can't do what Iowa State is doing? Bull. They can. It's doable. You got to find your next Matt Campbell. You got to administratively support the right decision so that you can get that. But it's doable. Um, we'll see. I think maybe the interim role might make some sense. Um, I know Daryl Dickey of AM, Texas AM offensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher, is very interested. I know Daryl. I'll work with Daryl. A little bit at LSU. Daryl was a brief head coach at North Texas at one point. He's in his early 60s. He's not going to get a head coaching job at a, at a place any better than Kansas. He's just not that type of guy. He's Jimbo runs that offense. He does a good job for Jimbo, but he's not the guy that's going to move on from that staff and be a head coach. Uh, Daryl's going to be a coordinator at a place like this. If he's going to get a head coaching job, it's going to be at a group of five job or at a place like Kansas that almost looks like a group of five job. But it's not like, say, a Vanderbilt where you've got huge academic restrictions and you're trying to win in the SEC. We see at Iowa State that, hey, you're not going to be Oklahoma. Heck, you're not going to even be Texas, but you can win enough there to go to bowl games. And if you hire the right guy and you put the good infrastructure around it and you give the guy free reign, do it right. You'll have plenty of time. Why can't he do? I mean, it's look, it's Matt Campbell is Matt Campbell for a reason. He's done a phenomenal job. Not everybody's going to do that, but that's what you have to do. Uh, It's a program like Bill Snyder. Bill Snyder is a rare breed, but Bill Snyder built Kansas state by, doing a couple of things. One, scheduling soft out of conference. So he built up enough wins to kind of say, hey, we're building something here. He could point to a record. Then what he did, he learned how to recruit to the junior colleges. So he took the high school kids that were not academic qualifiers, and he put them into the Jayhawk League schools, and then he brought them to Kansas State with a curriculum that could keep them eligible, and they became pretty decent. And then they were able to judiciously go and find, as they were building a program, maybe get into getting a skill position player, a Darren Sproles that was really talented, but 
was small, short. So the big schools didn't recruit him. He still could play. He identified those right type of guys, and he built a very, very good program. Kansas can do the same thing. You can do that. You have to do that from a junior college rank. And quite frankly, it's a little bit easier today than even what Bill Snyder had to do because you can use the transfer portal as a real recruiting tool. So you can get a kid that's not getting playing time at Oklahoma, not getting playing time at Alabama, not getting playing time at Clemson. And you know what? Kansas might be, depending on where they're from and what they're looking to do, might be a real viable option. So you can add that. You can add the the junior college, which Mississippi, Kansas, California has a large junior college contended, but Mississippi and Kansas, they're more closely connected. And they're kind of like you go there for JUCO purposes to get a curriculum that can fit you and get you eligible. And so they're in a unique spot to be able to work that, work the transfer portal, and you can be decent. Look, there's nowhere to go but up. I mean, you win a game or two. Man, you you win three games over there. You might be a candidate for coach of the year. Um, you could have two, three years. You could have a good three years, maybe four, before earning a bowl bid and still be able to, to build something there. That's respectable. Daryl Dickey is the son of Jim Dickey. Jim Dickey um, was a head coach at Kansas State back in the day, and Daryl Dickey was quarterback for his dad at Kansas State. So he's got a Kansas background, again, more with Kansas State, but he has a little bit of an understanding with it. And I don't know. I don't know that that's the right move for Kansas personally. It'd be a good move for Daryl. Kansas should be able to get their act together in the next coaching cycle to hire the right guy. If they go and try to to clean it up immediately, they're probably going to end up having a, a, to redo this again. I, I don't know if a Willie Fritz or a Sean Lewis or a Jeff Monken would want to do it right now, but I think they might have a chance of convincing somebody like that maybe in the next hiring cycle. Um, Hey, folks, uh, we appreciate you joining us. We appreciate the questions from Kev and uh, Sportsdat. Jeff joining us. Um, Rich Coates, appreciate your questions and your involvement in the show. Check out LandryFootball.com. Check out that War Room newsletter when we get that out. That'll be up soon. Um, we'll be back tomorrow for the Landry Football Podcast. We're going to I'm not quite sure where we're going to go. Got some ideas in mind, um, but we'll save that for tomorrow. Uh, you can join us in the comment section in the thread, and we'll we'll get to your comments and questions on anything that you'd like to address. Check out the latest news and notes at LandryFootball.com. And again, uh, check us in tomorrow and check us again next week for another edition of Scott's Eye on Football, uh, part of LandryFootball.com. Take care, everybody. <laughs>